has for us in our life. Now, nobody knows what our usefulness is tomorrow. You don't know who God's going to put in front of you. I was coming back, of course, on this flight, the first flight, the first leg from Miami to Chicago. A young man was next to me, college-age guy from Columbia, South America, Central America, and uh, chatted with him a little bit, asked what he was, you know, where he was, he was headed to Japan to study. He's, he's a physics major, still in his, still in his uh, getting his undergraduate degree, and, and of course, that kind of uh, picked my interest a little bit and physics and sciences and all this and that. And of course, we had a nice little discussion. And you never know whose path you're going to cross. You never know. And I'm, I'm telling you, God uh, uses certain people to, to reach certain people, right? And uh, certain backgrounds work better with other backgrounds, right? I mean, uh, you know, God can use anybody anywhere, but, uh, you know, it's uh, if you have a, a certain experience and you've find somebody else that has that same experience. I tell you, it's, it's powerful. It really is. And so anyway, he was telling me about science and this and that. And I said, yeah, I um, said something about creation. He said, uh, asked about being a Christian. I said, yes. I said, are, are you? And he said, no, I'm, I'm an atheist. I said, oh, okay. And I said, you know, I've always had a question. And uh, don't, don't let people like that bother you. You know, you don't want to be like, what? You know, I've known people like that. It's like, that helps nothing at all. Because you were just as sorry as they were, probably still are sometimes. And so, but by the grace of God, there go I, amen. And, uh, and so I said, okay, you know, and uh, began to talk about uh, um, some things. I, what I told him was, I said, you know, I've always wondered because, you know, man, and, and it was interesting because he followed very quickly, spoke English very well, and uh, not his first language. But I said, you know, Man can't think any higher than them, than himself than ourselves. We don't know something we don't know. We don't. We only know what's been revealed, right? I said, and I told him. I said, right now you're going to Japan. There's nowhere in Japan. I mean, if I told you right now, pick out a place in Japan, any place, and tell me right now, real time, what's happening. And he goes, well, yeah, it's not possible. We, I said, because we can't do that. I said, so if there were no God. How would it be even feasible or possible for man to even think up of or conceive of a God? If he didn't exist, how could we even think of it? And he goes, I've never heard it that way. That's very interesting. I have to think about that. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean it's, and it's the truth. I said everything that we know is revealed, which to me means that God has been, he has revealed himself. And it's the only way that we know there is a God. And he goes, hmm, okay. And I said, there are many scientists who are, who are Christians. He said, really? I said, do you know Michael Faraday? He laughed. He goes, oh, oh yeah. And uh, I said, Einstein used to have a picture of Michael Faraday on his desk. Michael Faraday had no formal education. Brother Chuck, you've probably heard of Michael Faraday. No formal education. Uh, one of the greatest scientists there was. Invented stainless steel. Has all sorts of things. He's back in the 1700s. If he were alive today, he would be called a fundamentalist. He would not give talks on Sundays. He would not do lectures. I mean, he was like, he, he was very, very devout. I said, have you, have you ever heard of John Lennox? He right now is currently a math professor, mathematician, a professor at, uh, at Cambridge, I believe, uh, Oxford or Cambridge. Uh, very strong believer, very strong Christian. I said to me, and what this young man wanted to do was, he, he was in, interested in uh, microscopes and getting into, uh, you know, the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? 
that and deeper into the cells, cells and all that type of stuff. And I said, you ever heard of Demadian? Demadian invented the MRI. Fabulous believer, Christian. I said, he explained to the eyeball, you know, he, and of course, the, you know, when I said the MRI, he kind of perked up and he's listening. And I said, they were all believers, they're all Christians. I said, you've looked through the microscopes, you get deeper and deeper into the, into the cellular level. It is fascinating. He goes, yeah, it really is. To think that this could just come out of nowhere. Right. And so what I'm saying is it's amazing how God crosses paths for a brief moment. Right. For a two hour and 45 minute flight, two hours in this young man's life, two hours in my life. And we ended up crossing. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. Right. Uh, Does it happen every time? No, it doesn't. But this time it did. And I gave him one of our tracks. I said, when you get to, when you, when you get to where you're going, uh, look into this. Would you? I said, you're a scientist. You like to discover. He goes, oh, I do. I said, look into this. I said, because your eternity depends on it. He said, oh, I will. I will. Thank you. He kept saying, thank you. Thank you. I even gave him one of our Spanish. I said, oh, here, I got a Spanish track as well, because now we have to have Spanish ones. And, and he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, heaven or hell. You know? I said, I don't know what it says, but I think it's good. So maybe you could, maybe you could tell. And uh, anyway, but God prepares us. Not just for us, God prepares us for others. Would you think about this with me, please, this morning? I hope we get to the lesson. Think about this, though, if you would. In two generations, do you know it's possible if the world keeps clicking on and God allows it, in just two generations, there will be people in your family who won't know your name. Do you know your great-great-grandfather? You might. Do you know his brother? Probably not. Think about that. Two generations. There is a high likelihood that much of your family won't even know your name. So what are you working for? What are you laboring for? You know what I'm la- you know what we need to be reminded to be that we're labor we're laboring for eternity. We're laboring for the God who knows our name, the eternal God. We're labor listen, we're laboring for him cuz hopefully cuz we love him. We're laboring because listen, we're going to be rewarded one of these days. And, uh, and it's going to be a, have a great bearing on the millennial reign of Christ, I believe, and who knows, uh, no doubt, the rest of eternity in our existence. What am I saying? God is, everything that we have experienced in life, God has put into our life so that he can use us to reach somebody else. Okay? And we're going to look at this this morning in the life of Samuel. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you will. First <clears throat> Samuel chapter 3. We know, we know what happened, right? Uh, Hannah has wanted a child. She had been praying. She was barren. Um, her husband Elkanah had, uh, had another wife named Penina. And uh, she had children. Of course, we know uh, the, the, the uh, cultural uh, consequences of not having a child. Number one, I mean, that's for a woman not to be barren was just, it was a shame. But number two, you are completely off the list of ever giving birth to the, to the Messiah. If it, if it was coming in their lifetime, well, you're not it. And uh, women, no doubt, looked forward to that. They could possibly be the one to give birth to the Messiah. So there's a, but there was a real cultural uh, negative to not, to not being able to have children. You know, I, I, I know um, uh, feminism and, uh, and all of the, 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 where we are today in our culture, not just feminism, but all of the anti-God, post-Christian world that we live in, um, you know, child, having children isn't really like it used to be, right? But there is still a stigma to a woman who's barren. 
There's, it's still there, whether you know. And so, just think about it. Back then, this this meant everything. This was all of their value to their to their husband, their family, and and to uh, their their uh, nation was to be able to have children. And so here it is. Hannah is is a barren. She cannot have children. She's been going to the temple. She's pouring her heart out to God. She's asking God for a son. <clears throat> and in verse in chapter one of First Samuel, she ends up vowing a vow. Listen to verse 11. You can turn over there if you want to. Verse 11, 1 Samuel 1, 11. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now, a little bit of background, we understand what's going on here. Um, she's talking about the Nazarite vow. <clears throat> she, was, she was going to give him so completely to the Lord that she, the parents, uh, namely her, uh, Hannah, took, took out the Nazarite vow for Samuel, which was that, what was that? It was no, no razor upon the head. They let the seven locks here grow, right? You can see the Hasidic Jews today in Israel, they have these little curly locks hanging down. They would, they would let, the law, they'd let the hair grow, right? Um, they could touch nothing dead. They couldn't help in the burial of their parents. They couldn't touch a dead body. They couldn't touch the carcass of a dead animal, right? They could touch nothing dead. And thirdly, they could eat or consume no fruit of the vine. No wine, no grapes, no, obviously no strong drink, uh, no fruit of the vine. And, and this was a vow of of utter and complete and total separation, right? They, they actually stood out in culture and society. It wasn't the cool thing because they, hey, they got to have long hair and he, he's a cool cat, look at him. No, it wasn't a thing of, of cool. It was a thing of, I have a vow unto the Lord. I stand out among everybody else. There's a lot of, watch, there's a lot in my life I'm not allowed to do because of a vow. Not the vow that I didn't, and it's a vow that he didn't even take, it's a vow his parents took, Right? And so, same thing with, you look at, you want to juxtapose this with, with uh, Solomon. Solomon's parents took a vow too, right? Or, uh, what's that guy? Samson, not Solomon. Samson, sorry. Samson's parents took a vow as well. Look at the difference between Samson and Samuel. I mean, polar opposites. What was the difference? A heart. They both had a Nazarite vow. It didn't make them have the right heart. Samuel in our text had a heart for God. Right? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, Samson didn't. And so they, she took the vow. They, she took this Nazarite vow. And uh, she had a son. Remember? Eli said, oh, you're drunk. And she said, I'm not, a, I'm not a son of Belial. Goes to show you what, you know, what alcohol and drunkenness is associated with. I, I'm not as a son of Belial, she said. She said, I was praying. I mean, listen, Eli had very little spiritual discernment. We're going to see this again here in just a little bit. He really lacked spiritual discernment. And you could tell that the way, he, the way he dealt with his sons. And so he said, oh, yeah, right. Well, the Lord give you what you ask for, right? And she went home. She, she conceived. She had a child. She kept her promise. She gave him back to the Lord, right? And brought him up to the tabernacle, brought him up to, to Eli, gave him over to Eli. There's a massive lesson right here, actually. I don't have a lot of time for this today, but there's a huge lesson. All of Israel knew who Eli was. 
All of Israel knew who his sons were. All of Israel knew that he was not a good priest. His sons were, were, were wicked, absolutely wicked. The things they brought into the house of God were, were unmentionable. And he didn't restrain them. He didn't, if anybody else was laboring, right? If, if Eli had, you talk about nepotism. If he had anybody else in, that, in the temple helping him, and, and doing, bringing in the prostitution into the temple and all of the things that were going on that his son, I mean, they would have picked him up by the back of the neck and thrown him out of there. And they should have. But Eli didn't do that with his sons. He let them stay there. He didn't correct them, right? Now, hold on. This is the scenery. This is the authority that Hannah is dropping Samuel off with. You say, wow, that seems crazy. You know how many people leave churches and go, well, he just wasn't the right pastor. Well, if it's where God wanted you, maybe he was. <laughs> maybe you needed to learn something that you you're not, wouldn't be able to learn from somebody else. Right? None, none, of them are, I'm, none of them are perfect. And I'm not talking about ones that are just living in sin and ones that are just allowing just wickedness. I mean, uh, there, there's a little, we, we're living in a different church age, right, than they were back then. But the point is this, right? Uh, God's authority in our life. When God places authority in our life, be very slow to make decisions how you operate under that authority. What was she doing? Hannah, even though Eli was who he was and, and all of Israel knew he was, he was still the high priest. He was still the only high priest. He still was God's authority. God was still well aware of who he was. Do you think God was by surprise when we're like, oh, well, I didn't know he was doing this. Yeah, just, just keep him. Don't bring them up there. Thanks for the vow, but tell you what, you don't need to do it. No, the Lord let her, right? And he, she watched, she trusted, not Eli, she trusted God to leave Samuel with the authority that was in place at that time. Don't, listen, don't get, don't get me wrong here. Uh, God dealt with Eli, didn't he? Do you realize one of the things that seemed to hold up David from coming to the throne was eventually the entire family of Eli had to be wiped out? And you trace the lineage there. I don't have time to do it this morning. But you'll see one of the last people that was killed was one of the last holdovers of the line of Eli. Uh, God got rid of the entire family. They were no more by the time David came to the throne. God took care of it. Right? What do you do when you're, when you're stuck under bad authority? Pray for them and do what you're supposed to do. Right? And God will either he'll work with the bad authority. They'll get right. They'll get their heart right. right? Or he'll get rid of them. Don't worry about it. Just stay where you're supposed to stay. Do what you're supposed to do. All right? And so uh, you say, well, they're telling me to do something illegal. Well, duh. Don't do illegal stuff, okay? I mean, this, we're, this isn't rocket science, right? And, uh, but anyway, <clears throat> so she left him with Eli. Right? He, didn't have the, he didn't have the spiritual wisdom to know she was praying. <laughs> she left him with this guy. Yeah. There's a great lesson here. And uh, how we operate under God's authority. And uh, listen, uh, if you're a parent, uh, were you, uh, what kind of authority you, were you the entire time that your children were at home? Were you always the best and right authority? <laughs> right? Were, did you always do everything right? Did you ever come at a time in your life when you're raising children when you had zero sin in your life? Like the whole time the kids were at home, you, I mean, no, there was never sin in my life. Never. Was that you? No, it wasn't. But you were still the authority in that home. 
Right? And God dealt with you, didn't He? And God would work on you and get sin out of your life and things, things like that. And you still expected your children to, to uh, operate under the, that God-ordained authority, even though it wasn't always right. We need to learn how to deal under God's authority. And so she drops him off there with Eli. And throughout his life, Samuel demonstrated the heart that he had, the heart of surrender that he had, and how he served God. Yeah. His whole life, that Nazarite vow, his whole life was separated unto God. Right? And ours should be too. You know, right? God should have all of us. He should have our eyes on what we see. He should have our ears and what we listen to. He should have our mouth and what we say. He should have our mind and what we think on. He should have our feet and where we're going. Our hands and what we're doing. Right? He should have absolutely all of us. You want some, you want some verses uh, to prove what I'm saying? I know you can say, well, I don't know about that. Here, listen, I've got a few verses down here. Psalm 34, 13. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. God should own our mouth. He should have our tongue, our hands. He should, he should have our hands over in Ecclesiastes uh, 9, 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Right? We're told in the, in the New Testament that whatsoever things we do, do it as unto the Lord. Right? Uh, whether, you know, do it to the glory of God. He should have our tongue. He should have our hands. Right? He should have where we go. Ephesians 4, 17. Therefore I say, this I say therefore in testifying the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind. The way we live, the way we walk, it should be for God. Our eyes, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. What do your eyes see? You know what? You know the Bible says if the if 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 the eye is is light, then the whole body is light. And if the eye is darkness, the whole body is darkness. Listen, if you take in what is truth, if you're viewing and looking and taking in what is truth, it, it affects the whole body, right? If you take in what is darkness, what is sin, what is wickedness, it affects the whole body, right? The whole body. It doesn't just. It's not like oh, well, my eyes are really sinful right now, but boy, the rest of me is doing pretty good. No, it's the whole body, right? And we got to be careful of what we take in. Our ears, what we listen to. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Do you know what? The inference here is we follow what we hear. Watch this. We follow not only what we hear, we follow what we are hearing that we allow to affect our heart. We got to be very careful what we let into the eyes and into the ears. Because listen, our flesh is still intact. Worldly music should have no part of our life, right? Why? Because, well, it's just, well, I mean, it's just innocent. It doesn't mean anything. Friend, there's still philosophies that are embedded in some of these songs. There's still things you walk away with thinking, you know, well, you, you've heard what I've said many times. It may be a broken record. I know that. But Brother Earl was just telling me this morning, he hasn't heard this yet, so I'll tell him. And uh, that uh, in, in, all worldly entertainment really comes to this one conclusion. Life works just fine without God. Think about that. That's what, that's what it's saying. You, go, you look at the world's movies and entertainment. You look at their music. You look at the, the, the books that they write. I mean, they create scenarios that work just fine without God. And listen, I've said this recently. 
Hey, you might figure out how to make this life work without God. You will not figure out how to make the next life work without God. You are in, in, in the realm of eternity, right? That fast. It's over. Yeah. Bravo. You made this work, but the rest of your existence you haven't figured out yet. You know, that's not a good thing, right? And so our whole body belongs to God. I mean, what's Romans 12.1? I beseech you, therefore, uh, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable, right? People say, well, I don't want to look like that. I don't want to stop doing this. I don't want to not drink this. I don't want to eat this. I don't want to look like this or wear this. I don't want to not watch this. I don't want to, I mean, I mean, seriously. That's a hang-up? <laughs> right? You're talking about a relationship with a living God. And your hang-up is just peripheral things that we do? Right? I mean, it's, it's reasonable. It's not, a, it's, it's not a huge thing. You know God never commanded us to be martyred? That wouldn't be reasonable. <laughs> no, this is what Islam does. I mean, essentially, if you want to come to some place, you're going to... <laughs> Brother Jim sent me a, a, a brother Jim sent me a very profound uh, comic strip yesterday about these two Muslim wives and and uh, uh, looking at their baby pictures or something and one of the little they it's talking about their baby what was that about being a martyr and yeah and yeah the other one says oh they yeah they blow up so soon <laughs> instead of grow up they blow up anyway God doesn't call us to that right. What he calls us to is reasonable, right? What he calls us to is, is doable. What is it? A heart that desires to live in our bodily life a way that glorifies him. And this is what, marks, this is what marked Samuel's life. Notice the calling of Samuel, right? The calling of Samuel. How did we get Samuel? Well, first of all, God provided uh, a son, right? Hannah was able to be married. Hannah has a husband. Hannah was able to have children, but the, the womb was, uh, was closed, but God opened the womb for her. And uh, we have uh, Samuel. And then, so God gave Hannah and, and, uh, and uh, Elkanah Samuel, and then Hannah gave Samuel to God. Right? We see this in the New Testament. I love this, this order here. When Jesus was feeding the 5,000, the 4,000, it says he, he took the bread. Now follow this. And he gave the bread to the disciples. Now watch this. He didn't give the, the bread to, to the 5,000. It says he gave the disciples to the multitude. I love that order. Same order here. God gave Samuel to Hannah and Elka, And Hannah and Elkanah gave Samuel and gave him to God. And here's what we do as well. And this is what Jesus does. He gives, he gives the means and He gives us with the means to go out into the world and read the, reach the gospel with the bread. Who, what is the bread? What do we have to give the world? Well, it's Jesus Christ. right? If He's in you, you have something to give to the world. And uh, this is the order that God has for our life here. Look at Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3, 1 through 3. And the child Samuel... Ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. That word vision there means the word of God, revelation. Revelation. That's why we have to be very careful to know what words mean. 
How many have heard profound messages on where there is no vision, the people perish, and the whole message is about having a dream for the future? It has nothing to do with what that means. Without the revelation of the Word of God, without a vision, the people perish. That's what that's mean. And this is what the word vision here means right here. A revelation, the revelation of the Word of God. There was no open vision. There was no prophet giving the Word of God. Eli definitely was not uh, thundering forth the Word of God. God. Listen, God couldn't give His Word out because there was not a clean vessel that He could use to get it out. And that's what was going on here in, in this time. You see it also, I mean, we, the overlap here is the book of Judges. But... Um, and so, and it came to pass, verse 2, at the time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was and Samuel was laid down to sleep that the Lord called Samuel and he said, here am I. And he said, here am I. And he, verse 5, he ran to Eli. Now notice here the hearing of Samuel. Samuel is lying down to sleep. It's quiet. The noise of the day is quiet. Everything, the, the busyness is gone. He's laying down at a good time. And this is when God begins to deal and call with Samuel. We know this obviously. He's old enough to understand language. He's old enough to respond with language. He's not a two-year-old. He's not a one-year-old. How old is he? Well, the Bible doesn't say. Is he six years old? Is he eight years old? I don't know. He didn't get to... Listen, Hannah didn't bring him up until after he was weaned. That could have been at least anywhere, get this, two to five years old. Yep. Our one daughter nursed their oldest son for what some thought was longer than normal. And uh, is this recorded? I might have to edit this one out. And her husband said, yes, someday he's going to be president. And he's going to say, my name is, I'm the president of the United States. And this is my wet nurse, you know, <laughs> so, his mother. And, this, and she would go, would you stop that? <laughs> he just, he, anyway, it, is, it was normal to, to, to nurse anywhere from two to even up towards five years old. It was not out of the norm, all right? And so... Anyway, so we know, he's, we know the age group that he's in. I mean, all right, he's old enough to talk. He's old enough to listen. He's old enough to respond. He's old enough to run down to, to Eli's room. He's old enough to hear the voice of God. Let me put it that way. And so he thinks it's Eli, right? He's never heard from God yet. The Bible says he didn't know the Lord. And so he ran, runs to Eli, says, here am I. You called me. And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go lay down again. He went and laid down. He does this twice. Finally, Eli, because he lacked spiritual, spiritual discernment, finally said, I think it may be the Lord. Right? What does Eli have to know? Well, the Lord's not speaking to him. He met, yeah, he, he wasn't hearing from God. He said, maybe it's the Lord. Next time he, next time he speaks, says, answer this way, and said, uh, verse 9, lie down, and he shall say, if it be thee, that thou shalt say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place, and uh, that's exactly what he did. Verse 10, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, and stood. Have you ever caught that before? I haven't. I don't know how many times I've read through this. The Lord stood there. He was right there. Wow. And called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. 
And Samuel said, Speak, for thy servant heareth. I love that. God stationed himself where not only could Samuel hear, but he could see who was talking. Right? Another Christophany. Very interesting. Right. I love this. There's, there's a guy who's, you've heard the story, right? He got caught up in a flash flood. He's sitting on his roof. Begins to cry out to God. Save me. I need, I save me. Boat comes by, says, get on in. He says, no, I'm trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. Boat goes on. Whatever, dude. Have fun. Next, he's crying to the Lord. A helicopter swings down. Jump on. No, I'm trusting in the Lord. Okay, buddy. Have fun. Off he goes, right? So he drowns. <laughs> Gets to heaven. He said, I cried out for help. But God said, I sent a boat and a helicopter. Right? <laughs> Isn't it funny some of the things that we, we look for? We look for we're always looking for the sensational. Remember, God speaks in a still small voice, right? God comes in the cool of the day, like He did with Adam. God comes when we're, we have laid down and the business of the day is over and our head is on our pillow and the Lord shows up and He begins to call, right? Listen, are you listening? Do you listen? Listen, when you lay down, do you listen to the voice of the Lord? I'm not saying like you're laying on your bed and you hear, Chuck! <laughs> but boy, the Word of God begins to come into your mind. The Holy Spirit of God, you know the Spirit of God has put something upon your mind, upon your heart. Maybe something you need to deal with the next day. Maybe something you need to deal with right now. Maybe something you said you shouldn't have. Maybe somewhere you should have gone that you didn't go. You know, He begins to, to speak. Maybe there's some encouragement. You had a bad day and the Word of the God comes to you and while you lay your head down it's quiet and He just reassures you it's okay. It's good. Oh, don't you? I love when the Lord shows up like that. And, uh, but we need to be in a position to hear. Yeah. That third time, the third time, Samuel laid down expecting to hear from the Lord. He wasn't expecting to hear from Eli this time. Eli was done in his life. Catch this. He was done. All, Eli, he was ministered to Eli. Eli was everything to him. Now it's over with, and his attention is solely on the Lord. You see this pattern through the Word of God too. I, we're not going to get anywhere in this lesson because there's. <laughs> but you re, you realize when Elijah and Elisha were together, Elisha kept wanting the, the you know he knew Elijah was going to be taken up, and he kept wanting a, the mantle of of Elisha. And uh, but you know what, Elijah was Elisha's everything. But God, listen, God had to take Elijah out of his life. Yeah. God took away his Elijah, and he ended up doing twice as many miracles as, as Elisha did twice as many as Elijah. Yeah, his mantle was laid on him. He said, where is the God of Israel? He took that mantle and hit the Jordan River, and he crossed over on it, right? He goes, well, yeah, he's here. I love that. No, listen, sometimes God, sometimes when we get saved, we have an Elijah in our life. We have somebody who's close to us. We have somebody who helps us and, and teaches us and disciples us and brings us along. And then it seems that one day that they're just gone out of our life. And you can sulk for a little while and you think, I need them. And the Lord's saying, no, you don't. You need me. It's time for it to be just you and me now. And we need to get along. right? And, and I love that. Here it is in Samuel's life. Eli's done in his life. And now it's Samuel and the Lord, and God's going to do a great thing. And God is going to show him the holiness of himself. He's going to, watch, God is using Samuel to bring holiness back to Israel. 
You know, God may be using you to bring holiness back to your family, back to your children, back to your relatives. I'm telling you, He's using you. D.L. Moody said, a holy life will make the deepest impressions. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. I like that. I like that. Well, I tell you what, if you'd live a holy life before those that aren't, you don't have to say a lot, friend. You don't have to say a lot. No, there's times when we say it's absolutely, but you don't have to say a lot. You're just shining. Yeah. You know, what, you know why they don't like a holy life? Because light reveals. You turn the light on and the cockroaches run, right? That's why they don't like. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil, the Bible says, right? And so we, we, uh, need, we can bring holiness, uh, the holiness of God back into our, into our realm just like uh, Samuel did. Eli was the same high priest who had blessed Elkanah and Hannah when they prayed for his son. He served God for many, many years, but he began to allow his sons to take over in the, in, the, in the temple and the things of, of God. And he knew about their sin. He knew what they were doing. He knew what was going on and he did absolutely nothing about it. It was on full display. No, this wasn't secret, hidden sin. This wasn't things that they were struggling with saying, oh, Lord, help me get this out of my life. No, this wasn't that. This was absolute blatant wickedness that, that the, a lifestyle that they were living just out in front of everybody. They're flaunting their lifestyle and the high priest, Eli, did absolutely nothing about it. Right. So what do, you th- what do you think Israel's going to look like? Yeah. Why do you think America looks the way it does? Why do you think the average church looks the way it does? Right? Because how many people, how many men of God behind a pulpit say nothing about it anymore? They're not going to call out sin. They're not going to call out unrighteousness. They just want the, they want the chairs full. Well, I'd like them full too. But listen, I'd rather them full of people who have a heart for God than full of people that, that just want to do their own thing. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, we have six days a week to get entertained. <laughs> yeah. We have six, six days a week to be, people want to come to the house of God and be entertained. It's like, can you not just be serious one day out of the week? And just focus on things. Just one, one day. Uh, let, let's narrow it down. Just like a few hours Come on. Israel, watch, Israel was a mess because of this. Well, of course, the guy in charge was a mess. The one who is the spiritual leader who should have brought holiness and an example of holiness into the nation brought an example of absolute, utter carnality and wickedness. And Israel was beginning to look just like it. Listen to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Look at verse 12. In that day I'll perform, this is what God told Samuel when he came to him to speak. In that day I'll perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. I am taking all of it out. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquities which he knoweth. Because his sons made themselves vile. And here it is right here. He restrained them not. He knew about it. And he restrained it not. Do you know I have family members? I have family members. Wherever, however close they are, it doesn't really matter. That are, could be far distant family members. I have distant relatives and family members that I could never, that I could never, if they ever showed up here, I could never give them anything to do in this church. Because their lives, their lives are not holy. They're not holy. That's hard, friend. 
Because you love them, right? You love them. But listen, you, you, it, it is manifest that you love them more when you don't allow them and enable them to live in a, in a lifestyle that is ungodly, right? People say, well, I, my, my child, I guess I just loved them too much. No, you hated them, the Bible says, and you didn't restrain them. That's what he said. The Bible says about a father who does not restrain their son. It says, he, he says this. Go look it up. You hate them. You hate them. Why? Well, if you love them, uh, come on. We, we know that sin doesn't work. We know that sin right, destroys. It destroys their life. It destroys lives around them. It destroys, and listen, uh, I know dynamics and sometimes things fall apart and you don't have as much ability to do what you want to do and, I, and you just you got to leave some of that to the Lord but I'm talking when there is a family that is you know place themselves under the uh, under the authority of God they're faithful in the house of God they're trying to raise their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord if you don't restrain them and you don't correct them and you don't direct them I'm telling you that God says you have the problem and you're gonna listen you're gonna you're gonna rue the day yeah absolutely Eli had allowed all of this to go on. He, here God says, because you didn't, you didn't restrain them. You knew about it, and you didn't restrain them. Yeah. You know what he should have done? Boys, I love you. You're wrong, and you can't have this job in the, in the temple anymore. You need to go get some things right. I want you back here. Oh, I do. Any parent that's, that's loving God and serving God would say, Oh, I want, I, want, I want my kids, I want my, my grandkids, I want my cousins, I want my aunts and uncles. I want them all right with God. But listen, if you're not, you, you, I'm sorry, you just can't do this. And you just can't take part in this. And you just can't, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. That's what Eli should have done. What happened? Israel's a mess. So how's God going to fix it? And I'm going to stop here today. God, God was working in Samuel's life because little Samuel, little Samuel was going to be the one to bring holiness back to Israel. God was going to use him. I love that. Can I tell you this morning? I'll be done. And we didn't get very far. <laughs> but... Uh, God wants to use you as well to bring holiness back to a family, back to a relative's presence, back to a Christmas dinner, back to a Thanksgiving meal, back to a, you know, I, I met with a friend this week that we met a few weeks ago and I was down in Florida, met again, had lunch and he wanted to go get some supper. I said, oh, by the way, uh, no bars years ago I had that happen one time like hop in the seat with a, on a sales meeting and, and here you are and you, they pull up and you go you're in the back seat going oh no it's probably about 20 years ago I learned real quick get your own car <laughs> rent your own car I didn't want to fall for that one I don't want to be caught in that weird one again right or I've had this in sales meet at the office everybody in the office is going to lunch you jump into your car for lunch and some people jump in and the and the and the receptionist gal jumps in the front seat and you're like what are you doing up here right you know what I learned don't invite anybody to lunch that was weird <laughs> so but uh, I said uh, oh yeah by the way uh I don't meet at bars. 
right? And he said, okay. I mean, because this guy, he's not saved. And I'm praying for him. And uh, he told me at supper, my wife said, they're a Catholic background, so their terminology, you know. He said, my wife said, what? No bars, why? He goes, he said, well, he's a reverend. I guess, you know, I guess, they, you know, he can't. It's like, okay, uh, holy and reverend is he. I'm not reverend, but I know what you mean. Right. And, uh, but uh, you don't know, listen, you don't know what God is preparing you for. To be a light in somebody's life. A light to bring back holiness in a family, in a meeting, in a lunch. I'm telling you, don't minimize what God has brought you through for your li- in your life. It is for a purpose. Your education Listen, the, 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 your, your job, your, your uh, career, your disappointments, your failures, your victories, right? Listen, God, God you can use all of it. He can use all of it. What, do we, what are we supposed to do at this stage of life right now? Let me t- be, listen, be alert and looking forward for the opportunities that God's put in front of you. You know, you know when you miss opportunities is when you're not looking for them. <laughs> Be watchful. Remember what Jesus said? Watch and wait. Watch and wait. What does it mean to be watchful? We'll be anticipating, right? Be looking, right? We know that it's watching and waiting about His turn, but we also watch and, and wait uh, as we live our life. God is preparing you. God has prepared you. Even the things that you're going through in life right at this moment, even the weirds, the stage of life that you're in that you're like, I just don't get this stage. I don't like this stage, Right? Even this last year, I'm just kind of like, in my life, what a weird stage of life, right? I just want to go do midlife crisis things right now. You know, I want to, you know, you know. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I know. I already went through all that, <laughs> right? But no, there's a purpose in it. There's an absolute purpose in it. So what do you do? Keep your eyes open. And uh, God's, God's wanting to use you in a special way. Father, thank you. We've got to go. Thank you, Lord. And... Uh, would you keep this on our heart and our mind as we go through the week, our experiences and everything. You're wanting to use us in people's lives. And uh, we just ask you this morning that you'd help us to keep our eyes open, keep alert, that we not get bitter of our past, not get bitter of our experiences, but know that what God meant for, what, you, what Satan meant for evil, that you meant for good, to save much people alive. Would you keep that on our minds in Jesus' name. Amen.